This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morana. We've done a lot of discussing of marijuana of late. I like to call it marijuana. I also like to play that uh, that infamous clip of Sergeant Joe Friday of Dragnet. Marijuana is the flame. Heroin is the fuse. LSD is the bomb. So don't you try to equate liquor with marijuana, mister. Not with me. You may sell that jazz to another pothead, but not to somebody who spends most of their time holding some sick kid's head while he vomits and wretches sitting on a curbstone at 4 o'clock in the morning. And when his knees get enough starch back in him so he can stand up and empty his pockets, you can bet he'll turn out a sticker to a marijuana. It's worth talking about marijuana just so we can play that clip over and over again. If there's one subject that we've been talking about more than marijuana, it might be Jeopardy. I am a Jeopardy addict. There, it, it In our house, it is appointment television. No matter how much uh, my wife is annoyed with me, we have to make sure that we put all our differences aside at 7 p.m. And my son's uh, Sesame Street viewing takes a pause so that we can watch a half hour of of the most engaging game show on television. And I'm very pleased to welcome my next guest because not only is he America's greatest living writer, but he's also someone who's quite an authority on marijuana for reasons we'll get into in a moment. And he happens to be a three-time Jeopardy! champion. Very pleased to welcome the author of 11 best-selling books of fiction and non-fiction alike, and the editor-in-chief of Book and Film Globe, Neil Pollock. Hello, Neil. Hey, Frank. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Yeah. Now, that description, greatest living writer, that's not something, that's not a description that I gave you. That's that's a self-claimed description that you've given yourself, right? I have been going by that uh, descriptor for, yeah, for a long time, for almost a quarter century. I, uh, I started writing um, for this magazine called McSweeney's, and it was, it was also a website, still is a website. Uh, it was published by Dave Eggers, uh, the writer Dave Eggers, a long time ago, uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s, and I wrote a book called The Neil Pollock Anthology of American Literature, and I was basically just taking the piss out of uh, pretentious magazine writers and, you know, uh, pompous literary types. And so I sort of, I just invented that persona and I, um, I've been writing under that persona on and off, um, for the last 25 years. So, yes, I, I go by that. Uh, I stand by it. I've got, I've got a lot of versatility. It's not as if all the other writers have died though. You, you do believe that you are the, the greatest living writer sincerely. Every time one of them drops off, I it just, it's just <laughs> I'm just like, all right, Cormac McCarthy. I mean, he was close. <laughs> you know, you you could make an argument for it, but I was like, well, that's another one. Check another one off the list. Yeah. When I go to your website, I learn that you have been a contributor to every English language magazine and website except for the New Yorker. What's the matter with the New Yorker? What did the New Yorker ever do to you? I mean, they just they just never called. Uh, I, I, I guess I submitted I've submitted a few, uh, you know, talk of the town type pieces on and off over the years, but it, it never quite hit. So it's just the, it's the one byline that's eluded me. Mm. 
Now, I mean, once you're America's greatest living writer, though, stuff shouldn't really get to you like that. But oh, you know, it doesn't. It doesn't get to me. It's just. It. it I. But it's just. It's a fact. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't lose any sleep over it. You were, as I alluded to, not only on Jeopardy, you did what I consider to be a remarkably impressive thing. You were a three-time Jeopardy champion about 10 years yes. ago. I remember you yes. on that show. You were very impressive and also pretty funny on that program. This is in the Alex Trebek era. Tell me about your time on Jeopardy. How did you find it, and what did you experience that maybe the viewers didn't get to see? Well, let's see. I had a a friend. I live in Austin, Texas uh, right now. And I had a friend uh, here who was on it and just put up a a Facebook post saying, if anyone wants to audition, um, you should, uh, you know, you should give it a try. And, you know, at the time I was sort of a sort of in a lull in in my career. And I was I was I was kind of looking for a boost. I kind of struck out in Hollywood. Um, and, and was needed some money. And, and, um, I was like, well, I've been a Jeopardy fan and my whole life and I'm pretty good at trivia. So I, I went online and at the, at the time you had to take a, I took an online test. Uh, and, um, I guess I did pretty well because I got a, I got a call for an audition and we, we I drove down in San Antonio and had to take another, I knew that once I passed the, the test, I'd be okay because I, I have a, um, you know, a winning personality, let's say that, you know, I've been, I've been on TV before, so I kind of knew what, was, what needed to be done. Um, and so uh, they took, I took another test in person. They give you, they give you an in-person test to make sure you're not cheating. And then uh, when you're taking it online and then I, you know, told some anecdotes about myself and practiced the buzzer. And then I saw, and then about a, about six weeks later, they called and said, We're, you know, you have to need to fly out to LA to be on the show. So, um, in between the test and uh, going on Jeopardy, I stopped smoking weed for the first time in a long time, and I, uh, you know, devoted myself to a regimen of like physical fitness and diet, and, and I just started hammering away and studying um, old Jeopardy clues and cramming things that I didn't uh, previously know. And then I went, I went to LA, and I, I, well, the first. The toughest part was I had to sit through an entire tape day um, before I actually got to be on the show. So I, I, got, I got myself all psyched out. I was doing all my meditations and all my you know exercises, and my last second drilling, and then I get to the tape day, and I have to sit through five tapings. Oh. And they, then they told me to come back tomorrow. And then I went there, and I had to sit through another taping. Finally, I watched six episodes of Jeopardy in studio. You know, my nerves were, you know, worn down to their last, you know, their last tendril and, uh, finally got to go on. And then I, you know, then I, um, then I almost ran the table. I, I won three games and then I, I, I over bet on my last final jeopardy and lost at the end of the day, or else I would have come back for another tape day. And it was, you know, it was pretty harrowing. And I wasn't even like, I would say that like, if I were to somehow get the call again, which is unlikely, although not impossible because they're doing these sort of second chance tournaments now, I feel like I would do even better because I, since then I've gotten sober and I, I spend, you know, a lot of free time, like, uh, doing trivia. Like I play in all these online trivia leagues and I do pub quizzes and I, you know, I, I kind of just kept, I've kept, I've kept sharp. I'm sharper than I, when I was, than I was what 10 about, years ago. What about trying to go on some other trivia related game shows? There, there are a few well, others that you could go on too. I was on the chase, uh, on ABC, 
uh, that aired uh, in January of this year, although I taped it. Is it January of this year or January of 2022? It aired a while ago, and I I had taped it a a while before that, and I I didn't win. I had to play against James Holzhauer, probably the greatest player in Jeopardy history, or one of the two or three greatest players in Jeopardy history. And, you know, it's an absolute, you know, it's, it's like, it's like trying to, trying to get into the ring with Floyd Mayweather or something, you know, I just, I was, I did my best. I, I, I gave it a good shot, but he beat me by a few seconds. So I lost out on a chance to win, you know, almost $200,000. Given your experience of getting on Jeopardy and being on the program, going through the online test and then the, and then the in-person test, do you have any tips for people that are listening that do really well on Jeopardy at home and have always thought about taking the test? Any tips on getting on the show? Well, I mean, you can take the online test. I mean, at the time when I took it, there were there were certain there were just certain moments where you you were you you could take it. You know, they had a set day and time you had to take it. But now you can just go on and take it whenever. Um, but you know, you want to make sure you're ready. So I don't know. I mean, I think the best thing to do is obviously if you're watching the show and you know and you know a lot of the answers, then you're pretty well set up. Uh, maybe go to there's a website called J Archive j-archive.com and they have all the Jeopardy clues or almost all of them since the mid 80s. So you have, you know, hundreds of thousands of Jeopardy clues. So you get a really good sense of what the Jeopardy universe is going to ask you. You know, there some of this if you go back and look at some of the games from the 90s, like I think a lot of that trivia some of it's dated now, but sure. the basic stuff, you know, the G, you know, some, and, and obviously like you know, geography has changed. Names of countries have changed. Um, but, uh, you know, the, that sort of like basic universe of knowledge, like, you know, Shakespeare characters, uh, birthstones, you know, British kings. I don't know. You know yeah, that's you know, all the same still. Right. Makes yeah, sense. you know, some science stuff, you know, like sort of the little, you know, 19th century literature like that. That doesn't change. So, you know. You just be sure you're like up to date on your pop culture, right? You, you know, no no one's going to go on Jeopardy and like run the table if they don't watch TV now, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, or if they if they haven't been to the movies in five years, or if they don't, you know, it's always funny when there's a football category, right? You can maybe get away with not knowing about football, but if you do know about football, which I do, you know, that's a nice edge to have over the average Jeopardy contestant who are, who tend to be more sort of quiz bowl people, you know, people who like, know, know, who who know the names of all the African capitals and like, you know, and, 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 you know, the vice presidents (laughs) throughout the years, all of which is also important to know, but it's like, so you got to have that balance between sort of the high and the low, you know, you got to know like the hoity toity stuff. And also like the, you know, you gotta, it helps to know the names of some wrestlers. Gotcha. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system.
Okay, we're talking with Neil Pollack. He is a best-selling author. His most recent book is Pothead, which we're going to talk about in a moment. He's also the editor-in-chief of Book and Film Globe, where he hosts a terrific podcast as well and happens to be a three-time Jeopardy! champion. You got to be on the show in what I think most people, Jeopardy! fans, consider the golden age of the show, which is when Alex Trebek was hosting it. What did you make of Alex? What was it like to be able to see and interact with him up close and personal? I mean, you know, you weren't, you're not allowed to interact with him except for on stage, right? Like he, he knows the answers. So because of the quiz show scandals of the 1950s, contestants are not allowed to interact with the hosts uh, because that would be, it's, 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 it's simply illegal. So, you know, he, he was sort of a, a, a big presence, right? Like he, it, it was, it was like God himself <laughs> descended uh, or appeared on stage. So, you know, it's not, I think some of the people who were on the show more, who were in the turn on the tournament of champions, maybe did some media appearances with him after the fact, knew him a little better. You know, he was just sort of a, a this almost austere presence who was like presiding over my fate. Uh, yeah, I have a lot of respect for him and I was extremely sad when he passed away. He really, handled his, his last few years with such dignity, you know, and I, I, I admire that, uh, you know, especially, you know, and then, you know, COVID swooped in and like, you know, kind of took, took his last, uh, his last days on the show and made them weird. I mean, it made everything weird, right. but like it made, you know, kind of, you know, then, and, you know, so, but he was, you know, he was, and I, I caught him sort of, sort of toward the end of his run. And it, but it was also before like, this wave of super contestants who have appeared like was before I was on before James Holzhauer. I was on before like, you know, Julia Collins. I was on before Amy Schneider and all the, all Matt Amodio and all these people. So it was sort of a, a, an older era. It was sure. just, and it, Jeopardy didn't really have the social media presence it has now. It was still kind of, kind of coming into that era. So I, I feel like I, it's almost like I was on, on in another life. That's right. No, I can understand exactly as as someone that watched it back then. I can understand exactly how you mean. Uh, now, you, I mentioned the title of your most recent book, Pothead: My Life as a Marijuana Addict in the Age of Legal Weed. You alluded to the fact that you restra- refrained from smoking marijuana during the time that you were on Jeopardy. You started smoking weed all the way back in the early 1990s. In the you talk about another era. It was another era because marijuana was still illegal just about everywhere back at that yeah. time. You got pretty into smoking marijuana, didn't you? Yeah, I, well, I, I did I did try it a couple of times when I was in high school in the 80s and then a little bit in college, but really, like, uh, when I was in my mid-20s, I sort of became a daily user of marijuana, and in order to get my legal weed fixed, I would actually go on vacation to Amsterdam, right, where it was legal. And, you know, I, I made it a point. I traveled to Amsterdam several times in the 90s and, uh, you know, en- enjoyed myself uh, immensely and enjoyed the sort of the freedom of 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 pot and, you know, a legal pot. And then, um, you know, and, and then in the in the aughts in the early 2000s and in the aughts, it like it started to become stronger and more prevalent and more widely available. I was living in Los Angeles and you know, from like 2005 to 2011. And that was sort of the golden age of medical marijuana there. And I had like a, I had a, um, a a medical marijuana card, you know, but I, but it was, I didn't really, but I didn't really have, I didn't have any medical condition other than, you know, some sort of free floating anxiety and depression that 
anyone who's trying to make it in Hollywood has. And, uh, you know, I, I, my, I went to this office in West Hollywood and this guy, this fake doctor with a fake, uh, medical certificate took my blood pressure with a child's toys and, you know, slicked back blonde hair, these, these shiny white teeth and he handed me my card and then I could just go to any dispensary in, in the Los Angeles area and get my weed. And I, you know, as the, the weed got stronger and I started using it more and more and more and it just, it just ramped up, uh, and then it became legal in Colorado, and I started traveling to Colorado to smoke it. I became a correspondent for a marijuana newspaper. Uh, I really, like, I went way, way, way down the rabbit hole. Then in the fall of 2017, you actually had a psychotic break that was brought on by the use of, of pot? Yeah. I I mean, I would describe it as such. I had I had a, a public... It was more like a public temper tantrum, you know, like a, a horrible public temper tantrum at Dodger Stadium, uh, at the World at the World Series. Um, I, you know, I, I had a tough year. My mother had passed away, and I didn't. I wasn't dealing uh, with the grief. It was very sudden, and I watched it happen, and it was it was terrible. Sorry, uh, and I didn't deal. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I thank you. You know, it was, I have I have processed it. Uh, more or less since then, but I was like in a, uh, I was in a bad place and I was coping through use of copious amounts of drugs. And, uh, you know, I, I bought a ticket to this. I'd always wanted to go to the world series. The Dodgers were playing the Astros that year. I flew to LA. I bought a ticket on some aftermarket thing and, um, was just like mainlining marijuana gummies and smoking weed. And I posted on social media that I was going to the game and some guy who lived near the park who I'd never met before said, you should come over to my house. I'll smoke you out. And so I was, I was flying high on these gummies and then I, then I, you know, I smoked, I smoked his weed. And then I walked a mile in a hundred degree temperature to the stadium and I got there and they scanned my ticket and it was fraudulent. And, uh, they wouldn't let me in. And uh, rather than like, you know, call the company that I'd bought it from and try to sort it out, I just started ranting and screaming and like sobbing and tearing at my hair. And just like, you know, and I was surrounded by security guards and like escorted away from the stadium. And, you know, people were like laughing at me and pointing and I was crying and screaming. It was, it was, it was bad. I mean, I was 47 years old, <laughs> you know, it's not like I was, it's not like I was a kid. Right. No, so, I- you know, I, I, and I and I took a look at myself, you know, in like the mirror of a parked truck, and I just saw this like I had a long white beard, and my eyes were all red and bloodshot, and my hair was crazy and sticking out all over the place, and I'm like, I'm like, I'm lucky that they hadn't take they didn't take me to jail or like throw me in the gutter or whatever. It, it was a it was a low point. It was a low point, to say the least. What made you yeah. then decide to quit marijuana? Was it that you had felt that you would hit rock bottom with that incident at the World Series? Yep. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it wasn't the last time I'd smoked. I, I, I continued sort of limping along for the next few weeks. And then I just sort of, I sort of was like, you know what? That is, I can't. And the thing is, that, it, that was the worst incident, but it was hardly the first time that I'd lost my cool in public. You know, I'd gotten into fights with people at, I, you know, I lost my temper at people. I, you know, I, you know, I, you know, I, I had behaved in a, um, less than, um, I don't know, less than gentlemanly way, let's say, you know, and, uh, more often than I wanted, you know, that I wanted to I'm losing my cool over small things. And so I just kind of, I, I, I was, I found myself sort of 
slowly weaning off. And then I started going to, um, going to recovery meetings, you know, and just, I just kind of admitted that I was, I mean, powerless over this addiction that I had to weed, you know, and I simply was. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, you know, went to meetings, I got myself a sponsor who straightened myself out, um, made, made, started making amends to people who I needed to make amends to. Um, it's an ongoing process and I'm not like, I'm not a recovery head. Like I don't, I don't, I kind of got tired of the meetings and, and the sort of the, the AA shuffle and, you know, the, the people who kept relapsing and, you know, I got tired of uh, th- that culture, just like I get tired of any organized religion really. But, um, but I've stayed sober and, you know, those sort of lessons of sobriety have stayed with me. No, well, that's, that's great. I know it's got to be a difficult thing to do. One of the things that I hear from so many people that smoke regularly is that they don't believe that marijuana is addictive. Do you believe that you were addicted to marijuana? And in general, oh, yeah. do you, you do. And, and, and you think oh, marijuana yeah. is addictive? Oh, yeah. Hey, absolutely. There's no question about it. It's not to say that everyone who smokes it is addicted to it um, and that, uh, you know, and that even as but even as an addictive, it's different as as an addictive drug than, than say, you know, meth or heroin or, you know, or, or coke or even alcohol. Like it doesn't have the sort of the deleterious like physical effects necessarily, although over over a period of time, I think it. It probably does, but it, like it does have the, you know, it, it's a psychoactive substance, right? And so <clears throat> it sort of had wormed its way into my brain. Mm. And mm. I couldn't, you know, and I was like, you know, I was, I, it's almost like the weed, it convinced me that it was good for me, you know? And there was a lot of, and, and, you know, I, mean, I was driving around high out of my mind. I was like, I, was, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't do anything without getting high. I couldn't watch TV. I couldn't go to the movies. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't, uh, play poker. I couldn't exercise. I couldn't do yoga. You know, I couldn't hang out with my family. I couldn't eat dinner. Everything was, everything was an occasion for smoking pot. And so that, that to me is a sign that, um, the, uh, the weed was driving the bus and not, not me. So anyone who says it's not addictive is kidding themselves. It doesn't mean they have to be addicted to it. Like I, you know, I, I can have a beer or a glass of wine or, you know, or a glass of bourbon or whatever and not be an alcoholic. Um, but they're kidding themselves if they say weed isn't addictive. It's absolutely not true. So now we're seeing more and more states move into the direction of full-out legalization of recreational cannabis. What do yeah. you believe these states need to keep in mind in terms of regulation or, or for states that may be considering the move to legalization? What do you think the role of, of the state should be? Should it be full-out legal for everybody? Should it be decriminalized? If you were making policy, given your experience with marijuana, what would you suggest? I think it should be legal because uh, criminalization of marijuana ruined a lot of lives. Um, You know, there are a lot of uh, men, a lot of, you know, largely black and Hispanic men who are in jail uh, or have been in jail. Uh, because of possession, uh, because they got caught smoking in the, at the, at the, at the, in the wrong place at the wrong time because they were selling you know, marijuana um, uh, sort of on the side or even as, as a profession. Uh, I, I feel like uh, 
criminalization of weed ruined a lot of lives and law enforcement, I think like exploited this illegal weed as a way to sort of get, you know, reach quotas and lock people up who maybe shouldn't have been locked up. So I think that legalizing it is probably for the best, but I do think that it is dangerous to do it without having some resources uh, for treatment and counseling and some, you know, and some acknowledgement that this can be dangerous. You know, uh, I think everyone is, I mean, it doesn't stop people from drinking, but there certainly is plenty of uh, literature and, uh, you know, re- there are a lot, there's, there's resources out there for alcoholics, right? Um, there are resources out there for heroin addicts or cocaine addicts or, or meth addicts if they want to take advantage of them. There aren't as many resources out there for people who are using marijuana because it has this sort of reputation as being good for you, Right as being uh, some kind of something that it, and for some, in some cases it is like, you know, the, the uh, medical marijuana movement got started in California because it was a way for AIDS patients to deal with um, discomfort or cancer patients to deal with, you know, chronic pain or, or veterans with PTSD using it to calm their minds. I mean, there's, there are good uses for it, but you know, I, I feel like we're way past that now, way past all that. So I think we have you have to like you have to be able to balance um, the uh, that and 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 I think there needs to be more public awareness made of the deleterious effects health effects they can have you know there's something called cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome where and I know people who have suffered from this where you know you you develop this uncontrollable uh, vomiting and and, and nausea and, and these these chills and only these hot baths and hot showers can sort of calm the nerves and it, it I've, I've seen people waste away mm. from from it so it it has there are problems you know and i think you know and i think that also you know i know that new york is, is kind of struggling right now because it i haven't been there in, in several years but it, apparently uh it's it's a bit stinky uh that's uh, <laughs> right th- th- that's putting it mildly that is putting it mildly uh, you know we're almost out of time there's a few other yeah. items that i want to go over with you sure. and then i hope you'll come back because uh you, you, yeah. it's rare yeah. that i get to talk with america's greatest living writer and even rarer to have a guest that has so many diverse areas of expertise i, I mentioned you're the editor-in-chief of book and film globe uh tell people what uh, what that is what is book and film globe yeah, it is a, a website that we cover um, the publishing industry and the film industry and streaming TV. It's largely reviews. We also do some news um, and and other sort of and occasional humor pieces. So we you know we we cover issues related to censorship, um, you know, and then uh, you know a, any of your uh, favorite movies and TV shows. We're we're offering takes on that as well. It's a little independent. Web. It's owned by a small media company based in New Jersey. Um, and, and it's just one of the outlets and, you know, I, I enjoy it and it gives me a chance to, uh, you know, go to the movies and pretend I'm working, which is always good. <laughs> this past weekend was a big blockbuster weekend. Yeah. They say it might be the, the weekend that saves the motion picture industry. Obviously I'm talking about Barbenheimer weekend, two very yeah. different pictures. Both of them made a lot of money. A lot of people apparently saw both and it has some people wondering whether this could be a, a new way of marketing motion pictures to kind of tie two blockbusters together with one another. What did you make, uh, putting aside what you thought of the movies themselves, which I'm going to ask you about, what did you make of all the hype surrounding Barbenheimer weekend? And what do you think this might mean for the future of motion pictures? 
Yeah, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, it, will, it wasn't entirely organic, right? Like the, the Barbie marketing campaign, I've never, it was one of the greatest movie marketing campaigns I've ever seen, and it lasted for a month. But then it's, it was so interesting because then Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer fans, Christopher Nolan fans, latched onto it. I couldn't believe what was happening. I couldn't believe. I saw people wearing Barbenheimer T-shirts at the Oppenheimer IMAX screening <laughs> I went to yesterday. You know, I mean, it was a phenomenon, and it was embraced by so many people. I, I thought it was great because you know it was it was. I I don't know if you went to the movies or I I live in Texas, so I went to the movies even during the height of the pandemic in 2020 and 2021, and it was depressing. You know, and and I think that I think that this was just a you know as a almost a semi-spontaneous public celebration of the fact that, you know, people feel comfortable going to the movies again. I, I wish they'd felt comfortable all along, but they didn't. There's something I could have, I, I, I tried just to tell them it was okay, but no one listened. Uh, but regardless, I mean, this is, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed, I, I liked both the movies. Uh, I have some, you know, qualms about both of them, but I mean, it was just the whole, the phenomenon of going to the movies it was, it was unlike anything, it was, it was like going to the movies when I was a kid. It was amazing. So let's talk about Oppenheimer first, since you saw that sure. in IMAX. I imagine that was quite an experience. What did you think of it? I mean, look, it is a uh, Oppenheimer is is a big movie with big idea. It's a serious movie, right? It's like old fashioned serious historical movie. Um, you know, with big themes and great performances. You know, I could have I perhaps like a done with a sort of a little less of the ominous Ludwig Göransson soundtrack, and also like, let's face it, I don't know if you've seen it yet, but like no. after they blow, after they after they they press the button and blow the bomb, the test bomb, not the not the, not the dropping. They don't show Hiroshima or Nagasaki, thank God. Um, after that, like then there's then it's basically like an hour long black and white courtroom drama starring Robert Downey Jr. You know, and it was like it kind of went on a little long. After that, after after the bomb blew up, which to me was obviously the, the you know the the money shot <laughs> of the movie, so to speak. But man, there, there's just so much good stuff in it, and you know it's just so dense. You know, it's about World War II, it's about the Cold War. There's a lot of science. There's a, there's a lot of politics. It's kind of like it's kind of like the ultimate dad movie. I am uh, looking forward to checking it out. I, I have my doubts yeah. about that runtime, and I'm trying to figure out if I should uh, wait until DVD or streaming, or if I should uh, put no, aside. You should see it on as you should see it on as big a screen as possible. Really, okay. uh, I, I, I love seeing. I love there. There are some movies that I, just, I love seeing it on IMAX. You know, it, it just it was just very immersive. Um, you know, you could you could. Um, I would say you know. If, my people have asked me for advice about when to go to the bathroom during it. You know, it's like, wait until they blow the bombs and spoiler alert, they do. <laughs> um, and then, and, and then, and then you can, then you can head off to the bathroom and you still have, and you go and you'll still have 50 minutes of a black and white, um, courtroom drama starring Robert Downey Jr. after that. All right. Uh, very quickly, Barbie. It's not necessarily a movie that I would normally run to see. Am I missing anything if I don't go see it? I mean, it's such a cultural phenomenon, Frank, that you almost have to, right? It's like just just for the ref, just for the reference base. Um, you know, I there's visually, there's some good jokes in it. Uh, there's a really great musical number uh, Ryan Gosling has this amazing musical number at the end. Um, and, uh, you know, there's visually, there's some really cool stuff going on. You know, I found it, 
at times maybe a little didactic. You know, everyone loves these speeches in the middle, these sort of like feminist speeches that one of the characters gives. I, I was like, yeah, all right. Uh, it kind of felt like a little bit like, a, you know, 1990s women's study seminar mm-hmm. to me uh, a bit. I mean, well, one's, I don't know what your politics are. I'm, I, I have I have my suspicions, um, but uh, it doesn't matter. Like, but, but but just in terms of like just the just the the pop culture moment, you know, I, I think that it, it you should if you care about these kinds of things. And I do, you know, it's kind of something you have to um bear witness to. I can understand why certain conservatives don't like it because it's a very liberal movie. I mean, it is like, it is like bl- yeah. the blue statist blue state movie ever to come out. <laughs> I don't mind you know, it, a, a movie that's liberal or conservative or whatever the political leanings of the film are, as long as it's entertaining and, and as long oh, as it's, it's fun oh, to watch. Oh yeah. I mean, Oh, it's entertaining. <laughs> I mean, you can't, you, there's, there's song, you know, Margot, first of all, Mar- Margot Robbie front and center, like, just looking as gorgeous as she could possibly look. You know, Ryan Gosling is hilarious. There's lots of other, um, you know, engaging characters in the movie. And there's, again, there's lots of slapstick comedy and there's jokes and, you know, and then there's, there's a car chase even, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's not boring and Uh, no one's going to go there. I mean, you might not agree with everything that is said in it, but it's, it's not boring. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When's this SAG after strike going to end, Neil? Oh man, I wish I wish it would end tomorrow. Um, but I, I have a feeling that it's going to drag on uh, into the fall, September, October, something like that. It's kind of which kind of sucks because we find we're finally seeing like some of the you know we're uh, there's a lot of enthusiasm about pop culture, about TV, and about movies. Yeah. You know. And, and, you know, and I, I just feel like the studios are being really obtuse, you know, and they, they don't understand that, like, they're, you know, this is their last chance to, like, win the hearts and minds of people away from Instagram Live That's and true. TikTok and stuff like that. And this weekend showed that, like, it can be done. Like, you can create these spectacles if you make, you know, it fun you know, intelligent mo- movies that people want to see. Right. It can, it's still possible, but, uh, but, they, but instead they're going to, they're trying to, you know, they're, they're just, they're just being, the studios are being greedy. I mean, let's face it. Yeah. That's my read on the situation. Hopefully things can uh, get worked out uh, sooner rather than later. Neil Pollack really enjoyed the conversation. I appreciate yeah. it. And I hope you'll come back. Anytime, man. All right. Neil Pollack, you can check out his book, Podhead. You can also uh, check out uh, the podcast that uh, deals with a lot of the issues we were just talking about. Just search Book and Film Globe on any podcast app. It comes right up. Comments, questions, thoughts, you're welcome to give me a call at 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. 
need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.